What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC. We have right here on the line a very special guest. He is a man that is actually responsible for a lot of the NFL player interviews that you see and hear right here on TSC News. We're talking to a longtime agent of 360 Sports, Craig Doman. Fred, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it is a busy time. It's a crazy time for these NFL players, especially the guys that are not starters that might have their jobs on the line and you know, every preseason game, even though it's boring for the fans to watch, is very meaningful for the players. Well, now in in terms of business schools and, and curriculum, when, when you go to college, there are all kinds of sports marketing courses you could take. In fact, in some schools, you can even major in sports marketing. Now, I, I think you graduated, uh, if my, your bio has it correctly, in the late 80s or in, around 1990. And I would imagine around the time there was not a, a roadmap to becoming an NFL agent. So when you were in school, when you were majoring in accounting and business administration, what led you to decide, you know what, I want to be an NFL agent? That's a great question. I think I just love sports so much. And I, I got out and worked for a tax accounting firm right out of undergrad. And I just missed ball. And I played football at the University of Kansas and high school football and basketball and track and things like that, just like everyone else. And I just couldn't get the sports bug out of my system. So I went to law school and started, you know, exploring no internet, no smartphones, um, just exploring the industry and Bob Wolf out of Boston, Marvin Demoff out of Los Angeles, you know, um, uh, gosh, who else was there? There's a couple other guys, a gentleman out of Boulder and they were like the primetime guy. This was even before Lee Steinberg. And then Lee Steinberg took off. He was the quarterback. He was the super agent of the time because he had like 20 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And so I had the opportunity to meet with um, David Falk out in D.C. who happened to represent Michael Jordan and a plethora of NBA players. And it confirmed to me in that interview, even though he didn't offer me a job as an agent, he, he suggested that I, you know, figure it out and do it myself and roll up my sleeves, that type of thing. And that's exactly what I did when I first got started. Where did you start? You know, I started with college coaches. I reached out to college coaches and, you know, introduced myself and told them that uh, I'd like to meet with their players. And uh, one of the first coaches I spoke with was Tom Osborne. And he said, hey, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to set it up for you. But I can promise you, if you do a good job for one of my guys, you'll end up with a lot more. And so I think I've had around a dozen or more draft picks from the University of Nebraska over the years. And Coach Osborne was prophetic because it's all about just doing a great job for your current guys. And that word of mouth will spread to the guys that you're trying to recruit. That, that's so true in any industry. I mean, your reputation precedes you. If you screw over people left and right, you know, as, especially nowadays in the social media age, it's eventually going to come back to haunt you. But if you're somebody that does a good job like you have over the years, uh, you, you're going to get more clients and, and you're going to stay consistent. So when you started repping college, college coaches, I'm sure that led to you representing NFL players. But I would imagine there were some hurdles that you had to go through getting certified. Uh, I, I don't know if the NCAA had a process uh, at all for any coaches, but I would imagine the, the NFL was pretty stringent back then and still is today. Well, there's, there's definitely hurdles, but I think the biggest hurdle is credibility. It's not the qualifications. It's not the tests. It's not the certifications and the registrations. It's really establishing credibility in the industry 
And I think if there's a young agent or young person out there that aspires to be an agent, regardless of the sport, it's how do you most effectively and efficiently establish credibility in the industry that makes the difference. Well said. Now, when did you realize, wow, I'm really starting to make it here as an NFL agent? I think 1995, I had three draft picks. One was a second rounder, one was a fifth, and one was a sixth. And that was, you know, so our first draft pick was Barrett Robbins, who was all pro center for the Raiders. And he, he went AWOL in the Super Bowl in San Diego uh, way back in the day because he had some issues. But, you know, he was a day one, game one starter for the Raiders. And he, I think he, in Al Davis's regime, he was the third starting center in the franchise's history behind like Jim Otto. And I can't remember the other guy that he, uh, he um, followed, but the bottom line is that got me off and running. And then from then on, it was so much easier because I could walk in a living room or a dorm room or have a presentation with the player's family and talk about, Hey, we had the, the, the 56 pick. Okay. Before that really, really tough because you're, you're really, you're, you're selling air. You're selling opportunity. You're selling, um, you know, basically you're you're in an impossible situation because they want to know what you've done and you haven't done anything yet. Now, we've seen it in, in the NBA especially over the last couple of years. Uh, there's a lot of loopholes, a lot of different regulations, a lot of rules. I mean, some of the things are like kind of like a slippery slope, kind of like NFL officiating. Uh, you know, the tampering. You know, what, what, is, what is tampering? You know, can you talk to a player? Can you tweet about a player? Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, were there any things that you've encountered over the years as an agent that is a bit of a slippery slope, even for the most experienced professionals? Well, that's a great question. I think that the, the slippery slope is how much do you value a player? Just like teams make mistakes on their first rounders, you know, about 50% of them bust over a three-year period. You're going to make mistakes. And so, when you're, make, you're really making an investment in your clients when you sign them by training them, you know, getting them coaching, all those types of things, rental cars, then get back and forth from the facility. The slippery slope is when you get sucked into spending more money than you should because your client isn't as good as you thought he was and the teams don't like him as much as some of them say they do and you don't get a return on your investment. So it's not so much to me about ethics. It's more about making smart business decisions. Was there ever a negotiating period? And you, you don't have to name names, but is there one in particular you can describe where it really kind of tested your mettle as an agent where you're like, man, you know, this could uh, make or break us or, or, or our client? Well, <clears throat> I think there's two ways to look at that, Fred. One is, has there been a negotiation where it's been difficult and challenging. And I think the ones that are the most difficult and challenging are the ones where your client doesn't have realistic expectations on his value. So there's, there's a three way, there's a triangle of negotiations that take place. So like, let's just take Zeke right now. Okay. Everybody thinks this is Zeke versus the Cowboys. It's not Zeke versus the Cowboys. It's really Zeke's agent in connection with Zeke and then Zeke's agent with the Cowboys. And candidly, Zeke's agent's hardest negotiation 
is going to be with his client, not with the team. Has there ever been a time where you've had to tell a client, hey, uh, I'm sorry, man, I know you're looking for you know, X amount of dollars, but the market's just not giving that right now? I think what I've done is, you, you know, you, you cast a vision, uh, you do a comparative analysis, you find out from teams how they value your client so that you don't get in that predicament. So if you don't do your job in communicating with your client, you could end up in that situation. But if your client wants 10 million a year and you find out he's only worth five, that's a, that's a communication that you have with your client, client long before he gets to the point where he realizes all he's going to get is five. Right. Now, there's probably the other side uh, of the coin, too. You know, trying to get a contract extension, uh, trying to sign a player initially from being drafted. I know you've, you've worked with a number of undrafted clients as well who have ended up on teams. Uh, but I would imagine one of the toughest things is to come back to a client and say, you know, man, uh, we, we, we unfortunately did, aren't able to get the offer you're looking for. For all the success that you've had, what would you say is the, the, the toughest aspect of your job as far as having to kind of give that news to a client? I would say the toughest news, is, the toughest part of the job is this. It's the fact that a large majority of your conversations with the club is negative. Because if your guy throws three touchdowns, catches three touchdowns, makes three interceptions in a game, the GM's not calling you and saying, man, you guy's awesome. Okay. It's the call when the guy's hurt. He's not performing up to the, the price of his contract. There's something, you know, he, he's been suspended for PEDs. Something's happened. And so everybody thinks it's glamorous because all your mojo with the team is going to be fun. But on the contrary, I think, I, I think, any agent that's been in the business for a while will tell you that a lion's share of the communication with the team is negative. What's the biggest do and don't of any agent? The biggest do and don't. I think the biggest do is you have to put your client first. You have to pretend like it, whether you have a million dollars in your pocket or not, you have to do business like you don't need the money and you're going to do what's right and best for your client first every single time. If you do that, you can stay in this business forever. If you ever cross that line, the don't is the opposite. If you put yourself and your interests ahead of your clients, you won't last very long in the industry. Do you ever think we're gonna to get to a time where the revenue split between players and ownership kind of is bridged a little bit? You see in the NBA right now, I mean, it's very much a players league and we see with the nfl you know they're they're trying to become more fan friendly trying to make the game safer you know players are definitely getting more guaranteed money than ever uh, but there's still kind of a ways away when you look at you know baseball when you look at basketball could you see a time period where the gaps close a little bit i hope so i think one of the biggest things about the nfl that really hurts the players is the longevity or lack thereof you know i think the the average, you know, everybody looks at the average years and people throw out their different figures and I've heard 2.7 years and different things like that. It really doesn't matter. That stat doesn't matter. What is the more telling stat is the average number of games an average NFL player participates in during the regular season is somewhere around 3.3 games. So a guy could be in the league for four years, be on the practice squad three years, 
and not and not dress, not be on the 46 on game days, but three times in one year, and he, and that's average. So his you know his friends and his family are like, oh my god, my son or my brother, my my cousin's an NFL player, but he's on the practice squad. He doesn't have a jersey on on Sunday afternoons. So I would love to see the longevity increase and the way the NFL teams and the front offices look at these players is that with the exception of some core guys, they're interchangeable. There's a lot of young men and a lot of players that because they don't have longevity, they never get any momentum in the league to have the leverage. And if you're a running back, you mentioned Zeke before, I mean, that's, a really tough spot because when you when you first start out, I mean, you're not getting paid, you know, near your worth, especially if you you're outperforming your, your contract and, and everything. You know, there's been a lot of great running backs too that have been, that have been undrafted or kind of you know, forgotten about, and all of a sudden you know come out of nowhere. And, and by the time they get to the point where they're ready to be paid, you know, it almost seems like the teams are ready to move on. It's it, and it, I just feel like it's really unfortunate and it, it's crazy to think about because, you know, I grew up with the running back position being a, a very important position for the Cowboys. Obviously it's still a very important position with Zeke. Uh, but do you see it going the trend of, of teams continuing to say, you know what, we can find an undrafted guy, a free agent, you know, draft somebody in later rounds and, and, w- and we'll be fine. Or do you think we'll ever get back to the point where more teams are kind of a throwback where the running back is a really true, important key part of the team and one that's worth paying for. I don't think so. I really don't. I think when you have guys like Philip Lindsay that 32 teams passed on eight times last, you know, in 2018 draft, eight times. Okay, it's 256 draft picks, 32 compensatory. So every single team in the league passed on that kid eight times, and he ends up going to the Pro Bowl. So because of that, teams don't put a high value on RBs. And then the second thing is their durability is always going to be at issue. And the running backs have gotten really smart by coming out. They're three and out every time. The the best ones don't stay around for four years because they don't want to put too many miles on their tires. And I think because we pass, I don't know what the percentage is, 65% of the time or whatever it might be in the NFL these days, it's become a seven-on-seven league with some offensive linemen and defensive linemen filling in the gaps. And because the receivers and the quarterbacks and the tight ends are so much more important than the running back, I don't think running backs will ever gain the, the prestige contractually that they used to have with them and Smith and Marshall Falk and those guys back in the day. Now, on the flip side, do you see any particular position rising when it comes to uh, value as far as you know contracts goes and, and values to teams? I mean, we've seen over the years, of course, Every year, it seems like there's the, you know, the richest contract in the league for, for a quarterback. Do you see any other position maybe coming out of nowhere, one that teams are starting to value a little bit more? I think it's happened in the last three or four years. The interior offensive line used to be treated like redheaded stepchildren. The left tackle was paid premium dollars. And the other four positions weren't. And I think the next most important position after left tackle uh, was center. But today, all of them are paid because it's so hard to protect your quarterback, and it's so important to protect your quarterback since it's a passing league, and especially when there's so many young quarterbacks that struggle with protections and blitzes. The offensive lineman across the board, I don't care where, where he plays in college, if you plug him in at right guard in the pros and he's an elite guy, 
he's going to get paid because you cannot spend too much money protecting your most important player, the quarterback. I'm glad that that's where the trend's going because, I mean, that is one of the forgotten positions by casual fans, but it's one of the most important. Well, they don't get picked in the fantasy draft. <laughs> but without them, you, you're really going to be you, – you're without a strong offensive line, the most important position on the team is your number two quarterback because he's going to be playing. You just locked down, helped lock down Luke Rhodes, uh, linebacker turned long snapper for the Indianapolis Colts, now officially not only considered the best long snapper in the National Football League, but now officially the highest paid. How did it feel to help him get that deal? Well, he earned it. You know, Luke was one of those guys. He came out of college, did all the right things, but didn't have the measurables they were looking for. So he went undrafted and he went to Tampa Bay, led the Buccaneers in uh, the preseason in tackles. But it just goes to show how unimportant the preseason is because they still let him go. Gets picked up uh, midseason by the Colts, uh, played, line, you know, played special teams and got some linebacker reps for the Colts his rookie year. And then the GM and him and the special teams coach sat down and said, hey, man, if you'd ever want to try this, this might be good for your future might be able to play 15 years instead of two or three. So Luke embraced that opportunity, worked his fanny off, and, you know, having Adam Vinatieri, it's almost like having a, another coach, another team's coach, because that guy's 46 years old and been around the block more than a few times. And so Luke, because he's an athlete, because he can tackle, because he can cover, because he played linebacker, and he's, you know, arguably the – best athlete at his position in the NFL and he's worked on his craft as far as accuracy, lace placement, all the things that matter for, for kickers and punters and holders. Um, he deserved to be the, uh, paid the highest guy at his position. Yeah. We just had him on a couple of weeks ago. Really, really nice guy. And you know, not your average long snapper. The dude is Jack. Like you said, definitely a, a great athlete. I want to ask you a little bit about your staff because it's, it's interesting. Yeah, you run 360 Sports. The other person that runs 360 Sports is someone I've been dealing with for a long time, is a great professional. Teddy, your wife. Now, did she come into your life uh, as, part of, as part of the team? Or, did, or did, did, were you two married already and then start the business? How did it all come about? Well, she is the secret to my success because she got into sports when I was in law school and had a very decorated a sports marketing career in corporate America and then worked at um, the U.S. Olympic Committee for a few years here in Colorado. And so she's the brains behind the, the business because she can, she can uh, work with our athletes on their brands, their, their social media presence, their branding, and she can also do so for our 360 company as well. So she works hand-in-hand with our athletes and helping them navigate through this NFL journey, especially on the, on all marketing issues. What's harder negotiating for an NFL free agent or passing the bar exam? Passing the bar. Favorite athlete growing up. George Brett. Favorite team growing up. Um, the Royals. How happy were, uh, were you when they started uh, finally becoming really good? You know what? That was a lot of fun back in the mid-'80s. and they, They're struggling now, but they just don't have any money. Small market teams struggle. 
What is the big? You mentioned one mistake that that's like a like a don't by 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 any agent. And again, I'm not asking to name names, but is, is there one mistake you've seen another agent make where you're just like no, and you and you wish you could just kind of like shake them and tell them don't do this, but they did it anyway. I think the I think a lot of agents have a tendency to spend too much time on recruiting, and not enough time on helping their players problem solve the situation they're in. And so I'll never forget when I was watching, you know, this is, this is going to date me now, but back in like 2002, the Browns came into existence, the new Browns and Tim couch was their number one pick out of Kentucky. And he struggled. He struggled in the media. He struggled on the field and it didn't seem like there was any safe safety net helping him. And he just, he just fell. David Carr did the same thing. Okay. I feel like too many agents are so concerned about the next client that they don't take care of the ones they have. For sure. And you, and you mentioned David Carr. Uh, the other thing he lacked, uh, unfortunately, in Houston was an offensive line. Well, getting sacked about 75 times as a rookie, it's either an indictment on the offensive line or it's an indictment on his inability to process quickly where the ball should be when he's getting blitzed. What's a day in the life like of Craig? You know, it's full of conversations. It's full of surprises. You know, there's always that call that comes from nowhere. It's usually from a team. Um, it's it's exciting from the standpoint you get a you get to share the dream that your clients are chasing. That's cool. And, and as far as you know, you're also a father from from understand. So how do you balance that from being 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 a super agent and managing all these clients and everything? but also being human and having to be there for your family. Well, that used to be a huge challenge, um, but I did make it a priority uh, with my daughter going to all of her singing and dancing and all her shows. And our boys um, played football and basketball and soccer. And so I coached them in all three of those sports and I coached the boys in high school. So they won three state championships out of four years and, um, both of my, both of our boys are playing college football at the moment. And so, you know, a lot of our weekends are, are spent, you know, following those guys around the country and watching those guys play. So we're still very involved with our kids, but being empty nesters, it's definitely a different uh, genre than it was when they were under the roof. Now you of course advise players all the time on, on contracts and everything. But there's a lot of times where, unfortunately, their their dream ends. And I know in the back of your mind, you probably realize that, and you make sure they realize that, hey, you know, NFL, it's National Football League, but it's also not for long. Uh, what's the most important piece of advice you could give football players, even just from the jump as, so, as soon as they get into the league, as far as being able to maximize their financial potential? I'm not just talking about, you know, on the field, you know, getting that money outperforming and getting bigger deals, but, you know, maybe in terms of investments or how they save their money. Well, I would take a, even a broader brush on that. I would say that, you know, I talk to guys about making sure your identity is not all about being a football player and then plan for the end before it starts. And that is you want to have four things before you're done. You want your health. You want a fat bank account. You want to have solid relationships and you want to have utilized your platform as an NFL player to leverage opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise had. So if you get out of there with opportunities, relationships, your health, and some cash, 
you've you've you beat the odds for sure that's a that sounds like a, a damn good run to me and before i let you go what's the best piece of advice you give anybody who's looking to become an nfl agent or just have a career in sports business i think the biggest thing is with the with the internet and with the media coverage about sports, everybody feels like they're an inch away from being the CEO or the GM. And you could be 22 and have, have a working knowledge of what you should do if you were the GM and you almost feel like you're there. But my advice would for young people would be roll up your sleeves, pay your dues, treat people right, capitalize on the opportunities you have, and maybe 15 or 20 years down the road, you will be the GM. That's, a, that's really good advice. I mean, de definitely put in the work and, you know, eventually pays off. And I mean, we've seen it now on, on the coaching level and on the executive level. I feel like in a lot, a lot of sports and especially NFL, you know, they're, they are going young at times. So you never know when the opportunity knocks. So if you, if you, if you get ready and you stay ready, you never know when that opportunity will come calling. Right. Absolutely. Great. Well, Craig, we really do appreciate the time. It was a, it was a pleasure talking to you at, I've been dealing with your company for years and you guys have been nothing but professional and, you know, starting at the top of my list of, of people I, I've dealt with when it comes to uh, player representation, where can fans and potential clients find you guys online? Well, we have a website at 360sportsrep.com. Uh, you can check, you can check out the same for Instagram, uh, Craig Doman, uh, Instagram as well. And, um, you know, if you go to our website, you can find me. And, of course, you can also check out Craig's new podcast, the Pro Mindset Podcast, right? Absolutely. I'm playing a little bit of the media game, enjoying interviewing players, coaches, front office people, uh, current and retired guys, and just talking about the, their secrets to success, the secret sauce that they have that separates the best from the rest, and really just kind of dig a little bit deeper Rather than talking about stats and, um, you know, some of the – and their history is just really dive into what did they learn about the mental space that allowed them to be elite. Awesome. Well, definitely check that out, folks, the Pro Mindset Podcast, 360sportsrep.com. Craig, thanks so much for your time.